members, of course, and guests as well, including those who are watching online or will at a later time. Today we are uh, beginning a two-part series on uh, resurrection, and we're talking about Christ's resurrection, certainly, but we're also talking about the resurrection of people who believe and trust in Jesus as Savior. And so as we celebrate Easter, uh, it's important for us to really understand the heart of why uh, we celebrate Easter and what it means for us, how Christ's death and uh, Christ's resurrection brings us life if we will trust and follow him in the hopes that this Easter will not just be another celebratory season, but, but it will be a time of commitment. It will be a time of renewal in our lives. And so today we are in uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 8, in a message entitled, Resurrected to Really Live. Again, this is the first portion of that message, so feel free to turn there in your Bible. And as you do, I'll share uh, some interesting information I came across this week in preparing. There was a a psychologist who shared this data in a recent study on human behavior modification. That was the focus of the study. These research uh, psychologists have found that there are three primary situations when we are not ourselves in the most pronounced way. The first one in their study that they found is that the average person uh, can put on airs when they visit the lobby of a fancy hotel. And so when they walk in, they see all the finery, they kind of straighten up a little, adjust their coat some. The average person stifles, this is the second one, the average person stifles emotion in order to throw off the salesman when they enter the new car showroom or used car showroom. And so you may have experienced that before as well. You kind of try to play it cool, not let them know what you're thinking and feeling. And then finally, in this study, to varying degrees, the average person in church, in some fashion, attempts to fake out the Almighty God about being a good person when they walk into the church house on Sunday mornings. But as we know, if we know Christ today, there is no way to fake out God. Look with me at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through, excuse me, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The word tells us, And we echo this sentiment in the life of the church that Jesus loves us. And that is true. That is true. But in order for us to know and experience the love of Christ, certainly before we know him as Savior, and this is true as well as Christians, he had to shed his blood and he had to give up his body because of us, because of our sin, your sin and my sin. And today, as we begin to explore and consider the resurrection, certainly with uh, some of our mind and eye towards Easter, and we explore the life that the resurrection gives us, can give us, I want to encourage you this day to keep your heart open to God's word, keep your heart open to this word he brings us this day uh, through this message. 
Be convicted this day. Allow the Spirit of God to move in you, and you'll be better for it, and you'll be more alive for it today. As we think about this, our first point of focus from this section of Scripture this morning is this, that our sin is rebellion. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 7. Now, this book, Philippians, is written by Paul largely as a letter of thanks to this particular church at Philippi. The church has supported him, it's encouraged Paul, and it's sacrificed for him, including financially. And so they've pushed Paul and his mission and supported him in that mission. And they've been faithful in their support of Paul, but they've also been faithful in supporting the work of God's kingdom, advancing his mission and obedience to the Lord. You know, so many of these books we look at in the Bible, we often hear things about false teaching impacting the church or troubles that are going on in the church. But this particular church at Philippi, they were accomplishing some good and faithful work for God's kingdom. And Paul writes this letter of thanksgiving, thanking them for their work and supporting him, but also celebrating with them and their obedience to God. And so he writes it to encourage them in that. And so in these verses, he is reminding them of Christ's example. And that's really the heart of what he's trying to give attention to uh, in these few verses. Jesus' example for them. And he's calling them to emulate that example. He's calling them up. We've talked about that before in our messages here. Not calling people out so much as calling them up towards the standard that Christ is calling them to. And so he is encouraging the church and reminding them of the work of Christ in them, certainly, but also continuing to beckon them and call them to emulate the example of Jesus, which he really notes in verse 5. And then in verses 6 and 7, he says, Jesus did not seek, again, speaking to his example, Jesus did not seek being equal to God the Father as if that mattered although as a part of the Trinity, he is equal. But he did not seek being equal. Instead, he humbled himself, and he came to this earth as a man from heaven and as God to serve God the Father, ultimately by dying because it was the Father's will, but also in order to rescue you and I, ultimately by dying humbly. And Paul says to the church of Philippi as he writes this letter of encouragement, follow that example. Follow whatever you can discern in that example of Jesus not grasping after equality with the Father, but instead coming humbly to die for really his enemies. On our October 31st, 1999, there was a full airplane that took off from JFK International Airport in New York on a routine flight to Egypt. Shortly after takeoff, the first officer waited for the pilot to leave the cockpit, and then he disengaged the autopilot on the plane. He moved the throttle levers from cruise power to idle, cutting the engines. And the airplane began to pitch nose downward and then descended into a free fall. In the final moments before impact, the horrified pilot rushed back into his seat and battled the co-pilot for control of the plane. 
The pilot pulled back on the controls, desperate to bring the plane back up while the suicidal first officer pushed his controls forward to keep the jet diving. Egypt Air Flight 990 crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. All 217 people aboard the plane died that day. That battle in that airline cockpit is not unlike the inner life of those who don't believe in Christ, and sometimes, and more often than we'd like to say, those who do. Each day we choose either to hijack control of our life, plunging ourselves into sin, and the Word of God says sin leads to death, or to remain locked in the direction of God's will as he leads our life. And for Christ's example, which is the heart of what Paul is speaking to in these verses, we see total and full obedience to the will of God. But for each of us, in some way, we have hijacked our lives, hijacked even maybe this day our life. And in rebellion against God, we plunge ourselves into death, or back, if we know Christ, into the grave he saved us from. For you and I, this rebellion, we title in all kinds of ways. We call it freedom, or we call it just being ourselves, or being who we were made to be. And yet, all it really is, is pride. All it really is, is our desire to be the God of our own life. Rebellion and a smack in the face of a holy God who gave us life, we then ruined, and then he died so we could have life again. And if we don't know Christ today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, I want to be crystal clear, if you don't know Christ, you will go to hell when you die. Period. And you will live eternally in a state of rebellion, getting what you deserve. And getting what every Christian deserves as well, apart from Christ. Separation, torment, and death is how the Word of God describes that place of separation. And again, church, even those of us who know Christ today, we continue to rebel. And some of us, it's a daily rebellion of secret sin and hidden sickness. Climbing once again back into the death that he rescued us from. Chasing once again our desire to be God of our own life. Once again living as if we never knew him. No matter what our lips might say, even in Praise and song, as if we'd rather be back on the fast track to hell, apart from Christ. Putting on airs as if we can fool God, but we just fool ourselves. And so what is this section of verses calling us to do? This is what we call the why, what, and how. Why does this matter? Because sin is not a joke. It's not something to be taken lightly, no matter how much you've convinced yourself that your sin is less than your neighbor's. 
Our sin, Christian or not, is an outright rebellion against a Savior who humbly gave his life for us so we don't have to die eternally. So we don't have to go to hell and be separated. And when we dismiss our sin or we treat it as no big deal, we tell God that Christ's death on a cross for us was no big deal. That's what we communicate to God when we dismiss our sin, that Christ's suffering and bloodshed for us was no big deal. And we say to God that his love for us is no big deal. And we stay like children in the mud, as C.S. Lewis described it. When Christ instead offers us rescue, he offers us redemption, he offers us resurrection, and yes, he offers us life eternal, but for Christians, he offers us life now. Now. And so what do we do? We have to take our sin seriously. And if you don't know Christ today, again, your sin will take you directly to hell when you die physically because you chose to go there. And if you do know Christ today, your sin that you dismiss and you hide and you mask is damaging God's kingdom, leading others to see in your example disobedience that they may follow, damaging your soul and will lead to wasted time, wasted effectiveness, and let me be crystal clear, a wasted earthly life. when Jesus died instead so that you could truly live. And so how do we do that? We are called to dwell on what it means that Jesus had to die so that you and I could have life. Yes, let me be clear, Easter is coming. And yes, we celebrate the resurrection, but we need to slow down for a minute. And dwell on this truth first. Death is required in order for there to be a resurrection. And Christ's death was needed because of you and because of me. We excuse and bypass our sin because we don't get it. We look at the drunk and we think that we're better. We look at the prostitute and we think that we're better. But let me be clear, we're not better We're not better in our finery. We're not better in our proper speech. You're not better because you come to church every Sunday morning. You've got the same disease and you are just as sick. And you'll only really live if you understand that you're the leper, you're not the doctor. Your sin is deadly, deadly to you if you don't know Christ today, and deadly to your witness and your faith if you do know him. And so our first point this morning, of course, is that sin is deadly. It is rebellion, and it requires death, which is our second note today. Look again with me at verse 8 in chapter 2 in Philippians. And being found in human form... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, Paul here is highlighting the example of Christ to call the church up to that example. 
And he's speaking to Christians, mind you. This is a letter to the church, so these people believe in Jesus. And he wants to encourage them by calling them to humility and a life that looks like Christ's life and humility. And here Paul says that Jesus was so humble, he took humility to its absolute furthest possibility. He died so his enemies might live. And the enemy of God is us. It's us when we sin. It's us when we rebel. And he died because that was what was required in order for us to live. And although we are his enemies in our sin, he loved us so much he desired for us to live. What a God. What a wonder. It's hard to even understand. And yet it's true. And what a cause for humility on our part. And what a cause for honesty over our sin. There's this flower called the corpse flower that can grow up to 10 feet tall and once it opens the spiky bright red blooms look like rotten meat which is a welcome mat for insects that pollinated beetles and flies. According to a University of Connecticut research assistant the corpse flower looks like something has died. It smells like something has died. It has the same chemicals that dead bodies produce. The flower, which, we, which when it blooms in short order begins to disintegrate about after two days or so, is nothing really but a big practical joke to the flies and the beetles, according to this researcher. Unlike other plants that offer nectar, there's no real reward here for these bugs. They think they're going to get a meal because it smells like something dead. How much like the Corpse flower is the story of sin, and let's make it personal, is the story of your sin and my sin. It holds out promises, yet it has no true reward, and it ends in death. And our sin requires death, and it either requires our death or Jesus' death. It either requires our death physically and eternally or we'll be cast into the pit with all the enemies of God where the worm never dies and the torture never stops or it will require us to trust in the death of Christ who took on the cross to stand in our place, to die in our place so that we might be able to be forgiven and we might be able to live. And I don't know today for you, but I want to be crystal clear this day. Your sin, however you justify it, requires bloodshed because you were given a life and you've ruined it with your sin. However small or big, however justified or not, however socially acceptable or not. And someone will pay the price for that. 
And if you don't know Christ, it will be you. And when you die physically, you will die eternally bearing the punishment you deserve because you chose it. Or, you will accept and trust in this truth that Jesus bore your sin and that he died on the cross for you. And that even if that's true and you believe that, that you and I deserve nothing but hell and nothing but death. And yet, because he loves us, loved us in the example on the cross, loves us even this hour and this day, he died for us and paid that price for you. And if you will believe this and trust that he alone can save you and you will confess your sin fully without reservation and turn away from your sin and turn to Christ as your Savior and Christians this day as your Lord of your life, the Word of God says you will be saved. Why does this matter? Because sin requires death. And whatever the world says or the news says or your grandma told you, that is absolutely true. Period. And you will see it yourself when you physically die from this earth. And either way, you'll then die eternally forever or Jesus' death will cover your sin. But that will be based on whether or not you trusted him here on this side of physical death. Because, yes, this sermon is about resurrection. Easter, we will draw full attention to the second half of this story of Christ's death and resurrection and how to have life. But real life, church, real life, non-believer, begins with death. It begins with the death of Christ and your sin being put to death and following Jesus. And so how do we do that? We can become a Christian today, repent today and now. Hear me again, your sin is killing you, and if you know Christ today, your sin is killing your faith. And if you don't know Jesus, today is the day to come and know him. If you do know Christ, today is the day to stop playing with your sins, stop justifying your disobedience and rebellion, and instead bring it to the light. Instead, allow Christ to forgive you so that you're not continuing to harm yourself, continuing to harm your children, continuing to harm this church and God's purpose for your life. And so how do we do that? Well, we're going to have an opportunity here in a moment for you to come and pray. And don't wait. Hear me very clearly. We're going to wrap up in just a moment. And whether or not you walk down here or not, this has been a good day. Amen? Christ has been praised. His word has been preached. People coming down an aisle doesn't mean our service wasn't successful. Them not coming down doesn't mean it wasn't successful. And you can repent and praise God from where you are. This is a worship service and Christ has been worshipped. 
but you have not accomplished your purpose this day. If you have not repented of unrepented sin in your life, Christian or not. So don't waste this chance once again. God has given you in his grace once again to find freedom from hell if you don't know Christ and freedom from sin if you do. And so in this closing song, if you don't know Christ, I want to call you this day to get up, get out of your seat, walk down this aisle in a moment when I step down to the floor, come to talk to me and I will help you to meet Jesus, help you to repent of your sin and have a new life today. And if you know Christ this day and you have unrepented sin in your life, stop playing. Your excuses might have convinced your parents or your spouse or your friends or maybe even you've convinced yourself but they're not fooling God. And you're not living the life he meant for you to live. And life begins with death. And you must die to be resurrected and your sin must die as well. It's been said you must be killing your sin because in one way or another, it's killing you. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time of worship God, I just pray that whatever physical response we have this day, that you have moved in people's hearts and that they have the boldness and willingness to respond to the call of the gospel to repent. For those who don't know you this day, God, move them to respond, to seek salvation. If they do know you this day, move us, me included, to repentance of sin so we might really understand what it is to have life, to really be resurrected. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand if you sing.